On this episode, we're talking with our friend Paul Baldwin, author, pastor, and coach, as he walks us through the recent release of his book, Devout in Doubt. Stay with us. You're listening to the Dudes and Dads podcast, a show dedicated to helping men be better dudes and dads by building community through meaningful conversation and storytelling. And now, here are your hosts, Joel DeMont and Andy Lehman. Joel D. Andy. Wow. (laughs) Andy, if you haven't noticed, I've recently come back from the Magnum PI fan club meeting. I I see that. You're very very floral in your attire today. Detroit cap and all. Thank you, Tom Selleck. Wow. Yikes. I could almost picture you as Tom Selleck. (laughs) Almost. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, so here we are back again, Andy, for another great episode. Uh, this time, uh, we're going to dive into it in just a second. Uh, so great to have our guest that we've got with us coming to us from a, a remote location, a remote location, oh, an, yeah. und, an undisclosed, Und-und- undisclosed remote, undisco- location. undisclosed remote location. Uh, but before we get into the interview, uh, Andy, we do definitely want to say thanks to a few people. Don't we do. We? Yeah, we do. So we want to thank our patrons. Uh, we could not do this show without you guys. You keep the lights on. You keep the internet stream streaming. You keep everything going on this show. We appreciate you. If you want to become a patron, you can do that too Go by going to patreon.com slash dudes and dads podcast, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash dudes and dads podcast, where you can join our other fine, fine people and supporters that they get extra monthly things. They get releases early. They bonus. get bonus episodes, bonus they get episodes. ad-free episodes. They are just... Yeah, we, we really stuff. pull out all the stops. We really, we we really, do, we really do. do. Um, and, uh, and friends, we are quickly approaching 25,000 uh, official downloads here. And uh, we're so grateful for each and every one of those. And each one of those downloads is made pace, made paceable, made possible. And paceable. <laughs> and paceable by our by our good Patreon friends. So thanks everybody for uh, signing up. If you haven't done so already, uh, please get on the dudes and dads, dudes and dads. You got to clear out your mouth today. Oh my gosh. It's a little bit of a struggle. Uh, get on that dudes and dads <laughs> uh, podcast bandwagon. would love to have you. Well, Hey, uh, as we said at the outset, we have a guest on tonight. Uh, our good friend, uh, my friend who, uh, Quite honestly, I've not seen him in real time for quite some time, uh, but uh, someone who's made a significant impact on, on my life and the lives of many others, our friend uh, Paul Baldwin. Paul is the recent author of Devout in Doubt, Diving into Deeper Devotion. This book comes out of a really amazing uh, sequence of events, uh, diagnoses, all of that that Paul and his family journeyed through. So he's going to tell us all about that. So without further ado, Paul Baldwin, you are on the Dudes and Dads podcast. Paul, thanks for being on with us, man. Appreciate you being here. Uh, very excited to be here. And thank you for uh, dialing up what I, I was trying to, I was trying to decide what, what does Joel look like right now? He looks strikingly familiar. Yep. Yep. And, and I didn't even, yeah, that was it. It's like <laughs> a ginger. It. I'm like a ginger Tom Selleck. That's, that's <laughs> no, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's exactly. Yeah. So, awesome. Paul, so Paul, you've got, uh, you got yourself a family and you got yourself, you got yourself a job and you've got yourself some, some things you've done in the past and things you're doing now. And so as we always like to hear about your dad's stats, tell us about, tell us about life. Tell us about the family, where you come from, what you're doing, all that good stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I was uh, born and raised in Southern California. Met my wife uh, just out of high school. Uh, we've been married 29 years. Uh, spent about 13, 14 years in the Midwest. Uh, that's where I met you, Joel. Yes. Uh, and so he you, was, you, Paul was much more depressed in those days because uh, <laughs> things, you know, you're, you're living in northern Indiana. It's life is hard. But anyway, go on. Sorry. <laughs> it was an awesome season. It was an awesome season. But winters were pretty brutal uh, because we moved there down to Miami, Florida, where their winters are all of two days at about 45 degrees. And so, <laughs> so harsh. Um, so harsh. Yeah. yeah it was, that's it hard. It's pretty. It's pretty awesome. Uh, and so we've been down there the last eight years. So my wife and I have been married 29 years. We have four children. We have a 28 year old daughter. She's married and she has our first granddaughter who is now four. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty fantastic. And then we have a son who's 26 years old and he's dating a really lovely girl. We love her a lot. And then we've got um, our daughter, uh, Hannah, who's 24. She's married. She lives in Southern Florida. And then our other daughter, Abby, who's 21 years old. And she's actually on her way back from Uganda, serving a youth with a mission right now. So um, they're all adults right now. And we love, we love every one of them. Blast with them. Um, it- Paul, you're in, you're in this empty nest season. And uh, we talked about this a little bit before the show. Uh, how great is it? Because Andy and I just, we, we love our kids. We love hanging out and doing all the things well, we're doing now. Although Joel today or yesterday, my son, Micah was like, Hey, you know, at the end of the next year, I'll be 18 and he's actually 16 now, but that is, I mean, true at the end right. of next year, he hit you with that truth bomb. And, yeah. And it was not okay. So, so Paul, as we anticipate these yeah. days in the future, what, what's it like for you right now? What's, uh, how are you, are you loving it? Is it, is it just everything that we dreamed it can be? Yeah, it's everything that you you're dreaming about. I'm living it right now. It's we <laughs> <laughs> You were doing the math, you know, we've been married 29 years and, and our daughter's 28. So she's been with us since day one. And um, so we never really had, we didn't have that like, you know, three, four, five years before we had kids. We were like right on top of it right away. And um, it was fantastic. My wife could keep her hands off me, that kind of thing. That's what I like to hear. So, That's what I like to hear. Mm-hmm. We know where the blame yep, lies. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's it's right. And uh, so just in the last couple of years, we've really experienced uh, just the two of us by ourselves in our home, which has been really, really weird. Like cooking meals uh, it has always been like for the four kids and oftentimes their friends. And then um, and so just it's just the two of us and we can just pick up and take off anytime we want want to and it's it's pretty pretty fantastic we love spending time with our kids our kids it's a blast movie nights hanging out all of that but having our own time is pretty 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 awesome too so before before i ask my next question paul the other thing is that andy and i constantly talk about um how we're raising our kids to be the kind of adults we want to hang out with when they get older uh, is, is that a, is that a worthwhile goal? Cause I, I think that we're on the right track, but it sounds to me like that's uh, the kind of life that you're trying to, you're trying to live these days. Yeah. And what's funny is I think you, sometimes you do it intentionally and sometimes you don't do it intentionally. Either way you're discipling your kids, right? Either, either way you're shaping your kids, whether you're being intentional or not. So there's a lot of pressure there, but um, we have we have begun to notice as our kids are kind of soaring through their 20s that they are starting to look a lot like us for better and for worse. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, there's, there's, we got one of our kids that has like the best of us and the worst of us. And we're like, oh, my God, we're so sorry. Um, <laughs> but 
but it is also pretty fun to see some values that are coming through personalities that are coming through and some uh, just um, some little quirky things that are coming through that are real cute. And, um, and I'll say, Oh, that's totally you She'll say, Oh, it's totally me. And so it ha- it's happening again. It's happening whether you're intentional about it or not. Uh, so you might as well be intentional. There's a little life lesson there, but, um, um, we are definitely noticing that in their twenties for sure. Like when they're, you know, 18, 19, 20, they, they don't want to be us and they don't want to admit that they're us, but now that they're getting in, you know, they're getting married and they're getting into their mid twenties and the personality these kind of settling in you're starting to see it a lot more and it's it's pretty fun it's pretty fun and scary to be just straight up honest it's scary. pretty fun and scary yeah 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 so uh paul what what is uh what does work look like for you these days what are you what are you doing for a job what's uh what uh what kind of a mess have you uh gotten yourself into down there in the great state of florida yeah, well, I was in youth ministry for since 2002, all the way through for a long, long time, um, and even before then. So I'm almost since I was 19 years old, I'm 51 now. So from 19 to probably 44, I was in youth ministry. And I took a job down in Miami, Florida, the Miami Vineyard Community Church as the executive pastor. We've got about, uh, we're in the southwest side of Miami. There's about 4,000 people in the church, about 40 staff, uh, about 400 volunteers. And, um, and so I, I oversee all of the staff family, the finance and facilities, and uh, all their development, all their strategic uh, planning. So I do that. Um, That's my full-time gig. And I've been doing that for eight years. Um, And then I've also just kind of on-ramped into um, I'm working with an organization out of Cincinnati Vineyard called the Elemental Group, doing some consulting with uh, churches and nonprofits and some private private colleges as well. So I'm doing that on the side. Um, so I'm traveling a lot uh, right now. I actually live in two different uh, cities. I live in Charleston, where my wife and I live and, and most of our family. Um, and then I travel down to Miami every other week to to um, run the church down there. And then while I'm up here, I, I work remotely. So it's a busy life. It's a busy life. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, and uh, Paul, so the other thing is, I mean, you're doing as an executive pastor uh, right now, we were joking before the show that, uh, you know, people always ask me because I'm an executive pastor now, too. And the people are like, what does an executive pastor do? And I try to explain it as simply as possible. I just want for those listening. Um, I don't know many, uh, I don't know many, um, there's, there's many pastors that have different uh, job descriptions that can vary. Uh, but Paul has figured out how to live and work in both Charleston and Miami. Um, I, that's just not the norm. That's just not the norm. So I just want to set the record straight. This is not, uh, (laughs) this is not the standard, uh, for for the job. Uh, but as Paul, you said, man, it's, you're in a, you're in a season right now and, uh, able obviously to do that just because of where you, where you are in life. And, uh, man, I think, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure you are benefiting uh, so many people in the midst of all of that as you're as you're doing good work because you yeah you make a big impact. So uh, what um, is ter- and far as far as your background, your educational background is concerned, because you've got you kind of you, you kind of been dipping in all over the place. You got you got a lot of things that you're uh, have been involved with or are looking forward to in the the future. So so what. Uh, what kind of career uh, course uh, did you uh, start off with and, and all the, the college stuff and all that? Yeah, so I grew up in a construction family. And 
And, um, my father was a drywall contractor. My father-in-law is a painting contractor. So I did most of my work with them. My, all the, my, my extended family runs a cement union in California. So I, I grew up all construction. And I started going to the University of California and I got a job in there in maintenance and ended up becoming the director of operations. And so it was all building. It was all construction. It was all anything having to do with building things. Um, while at the same time, I was a volunteer youth worker in our church um, from age 19 all the way through till probably about 30 years old and just really had a passion for youth ministry I still do have a passion for youth ministry and so um, you know during those 10 years I, I, I got involved with you know network of youth ministries around the country and uh, got an invitation um, to come into youth ministry full-time uh, in South Bend Indiana over there so uh, my educational background I've got a you know I'm a, a sociology major with a the concentration in organizational management, and then I've got a master's in counseling. Um, and I, I only got that because I was working at the university, and, and they said, "Hey, we'll pay for your master's degree." And I'm like, ah, "What will I do?" And so I'm like, "Well, I like to talk to people, and and I, I was interested in youth ministry, and so I got a master's degree in counseling, so they paid for that, which was which was pretty cool." Um, and then once I got into ministry, I ended up going through the Vineyard USA has a has a um, kind of an educational arm called the Vineyard Leadership Institute. I, I went through went through that as a as a leadership development and just to get some of my theology training because I really didn't have that in a secular school. Um, and so that's that's really my educational yeah. background. Yeah. And, and just like a lot of us, you know, um, trying to be a, a leader that learns. I, I read everything I can and I, I watch everything that I can and um, I love to read. So just trying to teach myself that way as well. well. I, I'm sure you're like so many of us that, you know, you have all the formal education uh, stuff and then you go into the ministry world that is its own unique education unto, unto, oh, yeah, unto itself. Specifically when you're working with, working with young people, um, uh, because I, it was all I could do in my 17 years of youth ministry to like try to keep up with what in the world was going on uh, with, yeah, totally. with, with young people. So uh, now I just, I've just hired other people to try, yeah. to keep, try to keep up, I guess, I guess, but um, well, and, yeah. and we're in a, we're in a, it's not really a denomination, but in an association, we're in one that doesn't, you know, we'll, we'll, if you've got the experience and the desire, we'll hire you. We'll train you up because honestly, I, I don't know that I'm using anything that I learned in my formal education sure. with youth ministry. Um, I mean, there's, a, you know, you learn how to follow through and you learn processes. And I guess my counseling has been really helpful as well. But um, it's a lot of this is just um, what do they call it? The seminary of hard knocks. Yeah. Right? You, yeah. you know, you know, so um, which is kind of like parenting. Um, but, yeah. So now you, you were, were diagnosed with something. Can you let's talk about that. What were you diagnosed with and tell us a little bit about how you were diagnosed. Yeah, I was, I was diagnosed with a non Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, it was pretty radical. It, like, it was pretty advanced. We were at stage four cancer and, um, um, I can tell you the whole story pretty yeah, quickly. Sure. Um, we were, uh, I was, I'm losing, you know, they say during the COVID season, you lose track of time, you lose sense of your timing. Yeah. It was uh, March of 2020 when everything shut down and most churches in America, you know, they, they, they shut down and tried to go online and do their whole thing. Um, it was about that time that I was, I was struggling with some health stuff. We were trying to figure out some root cause, um, just some immune deficiencies and all that. But on July 12th, 
of 2020, so just a few months later, we were getting ready to go back into the office at the church. Up, up until then, we were completely remote. Um, my wife and I were, were working in the backyard, putting in a back patio, and um, just working. It was a hot, hot day, July in Miami. It was the humidity, like 2,000%, super hot. And we were working hard and I, I remember taking a bunch of breaks and my wife was kind of, you know, she's a workhorse. She was working hard and, um, and I think she was calling me a wuss and like making fun of me and all this stuff. But I just kept taking, I kept taking breaks. And, uh, that night after we had dinner, I laid in bed and I was just in terrible, terrible pain. I could not figure out what was up. And, um, I'm like the last one to go to the emergency room, but it was so much pain. And on July 12th, I went to the emergency room. I said, Hey, you got to take me to the emergency room. Um, and she dropped me off. It must've been like 11 o'clock at night. And, um, and she had to drop me off and she couldn't come in with me, which was kind of weird because of COVID. Right. Yeah. Uh, all the hospitals were locked down. If you look at all the nasty COVID numbers in Florida, it's pretty much Miami. We've got 5 million people in that city and nobody taking any precautions. COVID was going down. And, um, so they dropped me off. They immediately did some tests. They said, you're not leaving the hospital. Uh, we think we see something and we don't like what it is. And we think it might be cancer, um, which was just blowing my mind. I had to call my wife on the phone oh my and, oh, man. oh my goodness. And, um, which just absolutely sucked because, you know, I mean, this is a woman I've been with for, you know, 28 years at that time. And I had to tell her over the phone. But we had to, I had to wait in the hospital for the entire week because what they were looking for took a bit of time to um, to really diagnose when they go back to pathology and all that. So on July 17th, which was actually my birthday, my 49th birthday, I'm in the hospital. I get a little piece of paper that says non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So on my birthday, I'm told happy birthday you've got oh, Hodgkin's yes. lymphoma. Yeah. and doctor sat with me a whole team came in and they said this is pretty advanced like this is pretty aggressive um and i was just tripping man because we don't have we don't have any history of that at all i'm a runner i eat i eat fairly healthy at this season in my life take really good care of myself we don't really have a family history that that we knew of at the time we've since learned that there was a little bit of history there and, um, and so that was on July 17th and July 18th, they immediately started a, a pretty, pretty gnarly and aggressive, um, treatment of chemotherapy that was going to take me about six months to, um, to go through it. And a lot of that was in the hospital. So, uh, so that was the diagnosis. It was pretty, it was pretty hard. Um, and, um, and, and the treatment was even, you know, even more aggressive. So so as you're, so as, yeah, man. And so, okay, you get the diagnosis, the bomb is dropped on you. And I think of so many people, that moment where life just shifts incredibly fast, all in kind of one, one intense moment. Um, what, what goes through your mind initially? Like when you're hit with that, when you're hit with that info, what, what hits you the hardest? Yeah, I mean, uh, a little bit of disbelief, right? Um, like, there's this kind of surrealness of like, uh, nah, uh, no, this is not, no, <laughs> right? Sure. And then you, there's this stage of grief, but you, you go through a little bit of fear, um, a lot of fear, because when you hear cancer, right, you immediately think, that's it, I'm going to die. I mean, that, that might be an over-exaggeration, but in your mind, you're going, 
is this mean I'm going to die? Like, like you said, it was aggressive. What does this mean? Um, and then it leads to, you know, frustration and, um, and then you kind of jump into confusion again. And, um, like, how did this happen? I don't get it. So what's, you know, and you start to think through these things, um, um, doubt. Of course I wrote the book on doubt. Um, you know, um, if I'm really honest, you know, like God, why, how could you allow this to happen? Um, which is kind of arrogant. And I can talk a little bit about that, uh, a little bit later if you want to. So just a lot of, a lot of, uh, like a cocktail of emotions bouncing back from fear to frustration, to confusion, to doubt, to, um, Hey, can you explain this again? Like I had the doctors come in probably five or six times and explain it to me for a couple of reasons. Number one, I just wanted to understand, but number two, I'm not a detail guy and I'm trying to translate exactly what saying to my wife who is a detailed person and so my wife is like yeah. you know man we're the kind of couple where you know my wife will say hey what'd you guys talk about um i don't really remember i mean we talked, we talked for like two or three hours but i have no idea what we talked about because i'm just not that detailed person and um so it, it was just a it was a real intense season of just a lot of emotions like up and down i'm a pretty emotional guy anyways but um you know, I don't know if that made sense. A lot of fear, a lot of frustration, a lot of confusion. Um, and then a little bit of doubt of just, you know, I, I don't, I don't get this, you know? Yeah. So in the book you mentioned, and you kind of said at the outset here, like that you're in, you're in quarantine. So you're by yourself processing all of this stuff. Um, and then trying to, and then it's like processing on your own and then trying to communicate with the family, like what's going on and playing that whole game. I, I just, I do wonder, like, how, how did isolation, like the idea of isolation around this kind of thing, when you're, you're trying to handle this, um, to a degree on your own, because you don't have people right there next, right there next to you. I, I just kind of wonder like what that experience is like, I, cause I know y- y- you would be in this camp. I would be in this camp, Andy, yeah, this absolutely. camp where we would say, we would say like, man, community in these times is essential. And this is what we would like want to both surround ourselves with and push other people toward in this kind of, in this kind of scenario. And yet here you are uh, held up in all places, which just, I've been in, I've been with my kid in a, in a ICU for a few days and that about drove me nuts. So I can only imagine mm-hmm. uh, what that was like for you. I, I, what's the experience like uh, if you're kind of doing this on your own to a certain extent? Yeah, a few levels, because not only was I quarantined from my family, but I was actually quarantined from the nurses as well. So it was it was it was such a it was such an intense time in Miami with covid that the nurses were only allowed to come in at scheduled times. And so I was I was actually in a in a quarantined room in the hospital and not all the hospital rooms were like that but because they didn't know the extent of my cancer. They were super careful about who even come in from the staff so there's that um i'm an, i'm i've discovered over the last couple of years that i'm probably more of an introvert than an extrovert but also an external processor mm-hmm. like i have to i have to process out loud and so if you were like a fly on the wall you would see me actually talking out loud and trying to process and it, it must have looked like i was in a crazy hospital um and then there were a lot of conversations that i had with my wife but yeah it was it was a 
on, on some levels, it was helpful that I was by myself because when we, when something goes sideways in my life, I tend to retract and I tend to get really quiet and I don't need a lot of people. I just need my wife. I need my kids and we like to huddle and we like to hide and just get away and we'll deal with our stuff privately. But at the same time, I've got 4,000 people in our congregation and something big just happened. And we have to figure out a way to communicate this to the church, because if you don't if you don't control the narrative of that as a as in a public position like this, people will control that narrative. And, and, and that's a really crazy thing, because, as you guys know, pe- human beings can just they can start to tell themselves stories that are not necessary. So there was there was the, there was a managing my own motion. There was a managing my family's emotion, which my wife just took. She just took and handled that. Um, and then there was managing the emotions of the staff and then the overall congregation. And all of that had to be done as I was quarantined and way better like this. You know, you and I over a screen or over a table than trying to do something over a phone. And um, so it was it was a bit of a it was a bit of a it was a bit of a trick. And it was, it was frustrating but at the same time i needed that time to just process um and i had to be careful how much i processed out loud because my wife's a very literal person so if i if i say too much of what's on the mind um that's going to trip her out too but at the same time our wives want to know our wives want to know what's going on in our heads right so we 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 think, I mean, you know, again, dudes and dads, as, 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 as dudes and dads, we, we think that we're protecting our wives, we're protecting our children by not sharing all of the information that being fully transparent. But, but when, in fact, quite the opposite is necessary for intimacy and community within our family. Um, but it's just, it's different levels, you know, I don't know. So I don't know if any of that made sense, but it was, yeah, it, absolutely. It was a real emotional gymnastics, you know? So you're in the hospital room and you start journaling. You start writing some things down. Was which which became the which became the book? I mean, is it was it basically? It's almost not exactly a one to one transfer, but like were were those those journals and those writings and those things like that? Did you when you started that as you're writing in that room? Did you have an idea that this would become something else, or was it like just a way of your like? kind of a self count, like what was the purpose behind what you were doing in that, uh, during, during that season? Yeah. I mean, part of it is journaling for me. Um, I remember growing up, Chuck Swindoll used to say, when you journal during, as you're doing your devotions, you know, you you read a verse, you're, you're kind of just, God, what does this mean to me? You're trying to, you know, um, when you journal, when you attach language to your thoughts, it helps you process. It helps you study God's word more deeply. It helps you, um, you know, it, for, for some people, it's just, it's a, it's a great way for me to communicate with God as I write. That was not the intent. I mean, that's part of what I do, but really the the main motivation for uh, journaling was um, our communications director at our church. We were trying to figure out how to, we're trying to create a, 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 between the church and our family immediately, because we knew that we were just going to get inundated with texts and voicemails and, and people who want to visit. And we didn't want any of that. And we love our church family, but we just needed to like, we needed to be separate from them and we needed to like we needed to handle our business because when things like this happen we tend to we tend to hide not you know we 
we deal with our stuff. We're a very private family, but we also knew that my position was a very public position. And so we had to do something to communicate to the church that um, what was going on from day to day. So our communications director set up the Caring Bridge site. Yep. You're familiar with the Caring yeah. Bridge site? Yeah. It's a, it's a really helpful tool. And so I just started to let people know from day to day how I was doing. And, um, and that turned into kind of my devotion time, my processing, uh, to those people that were, um, that were listening and supporting. And that number rose to about 10,000 people or something like that. It was just, wow. and we just, we had no idea. I mean, some of these people were around the world and we had no idea who they were, but they were a friend of a friend of a family member who's a friend that sort of thing. And so I just kept writing to communicate to them. So what was a tool to kind of protect our family from the rest of, you know, the mob um, turned into just a real therapeutic and um, spiritually formative time for me mm-hmm. and then eventually for, for other people. And, um, and about three quarters of the way through chemotherapy, somebody said, hey, this is some good writing. What, what would you think about turning this into a book? And three or four people said that. And so I called, um, I called a buddy of mine, um, PJ Ashenfelder, who works up in Notre Dame. I said, hey, what do you think about this? Is there any legitimacy to that? He goes, I don't know. Let's try it. So then I called Terry Linhart, who I think you guys oh, yeah. know. Yep. Yeah, he's at Bethel College, and he's a 20-year friend of mine. And I just said, hey, this is just, can I just send you a couple of articles and or, you know, entries, and what do you think? He goes, I, I think this is really raw and, like, really transparent i think this might connect to some people so he connected me to a publisher that he knew and um and i i submitted what i had i had no there was no i mean it was just raw journal entries and uh, by the end of the week their whole editorial board came back and said we really like this we've not seen this kind of writing it's super raw (laughs) and it's super raw i mean i'm like i'm like guys there's a couple of chapters where i'm like pissed off at god and right um, yeah and I, and I say so, you know, um, and, and there's some entries where I'm just like, yeah, I don't want to talk at all today, you know, and they really liked it. And so they said, can you put some form and fashion to it and give us, uh, you know, I added some small group questions. We added some quotes and some reflective prayers and all that. And, and it turned into, it turned into the book and, and, um, we, we picked up some really neat endorsements from around the country and, um, we just decided. Um, you know, we really believe the Lord's just saying, don't take a dollar from this book and give it all away or give it all away to the American Cancer Society. So, um, it, it makes it a lot, we're not, I'm not a big self promoter, so it's, uh, I can promote the project though. Sure. I yeah. can totally promote the project. Yep. And so I hope we sell, we sell a million copies, man, and give as much money to raising money and awareness for people trying to figure out cancer. Um, 600, check this out. 600,000 new cancer cases a year. Um, just in this country alone, it's just, it's a real pandemic. And so, um, so that's, that's, that's how it all kind of happened. And, um, and, um, and it really came from an act of obedience because I didn't want to do that. I just, I really didn't want to share my stuff. Nobody really likes to be vulnerable. Nobody really likes to admit when they're weak. Nobody really wants to put their bald head and bald Mm -hmm. eyebrows on screen. felt like that was the act of obedience. And so, um, you know, God's faithful. And it all, it all came up. So that was a real long answer to your question. No, it's great. It's great. So the book is called Devote and Doubt. Uh, and 
can what can someone expect if they get a copy of this book what's the format what's it look like to pick it up is it a straight through read is it something you do day to day uh how does that look yeah, it's set up as a day-to-day. There's 49 entries. And again, um, it wasn't 49 days of, of, of treatment. It was 49 days where I was strong enough emotionally and physically to write something. There's another 160 days where I just, I was either too, too miserable or just not in it. And um, so I, I try to be really honest about this is, this is a snapshot of my journey, but it's set up as a devotional. And so it is a day to day deal where you'll hear. Um, and, and the feedback we're getting is we really felt like we were with you in this journey. Um, and at the end of each entry, there, you know, about a page or two per entry at the end of each one is a reflection question where I really ask you to do a little deep dive into your own life. And then um, there's a time where, uh, there's a, there's a prayer that you can either pray for yourself or it's a model for it. And then there's a quote that, um, you know, we, I love quotes. I love quotes because I think it's people in history, um, not just religious figures, but, you know, just public figures who are able to attach language to thoughts that we're wrestling with. And, um, the feedback that we're getting right now is that about a quarter of a way through the book, people are, they're with in this journey and they're finding themselves in this journey because my story is cancer. I never wanted that story to be cancer. Um, that's just, nobody wants to pick that up as their own story. Um, but we put it together in such a way that, um, that hopefully whatever season of suffering that you're, you know, you're, you're in, you'll be able to, um, learn how to meet Jesus in that and learn how to wrestle with God in that and, um, and learn how to walk out inevitable doubt that you're going to have in life. It's just a reality of our faith. And, um, and I'm just, I'm super stoked that that that's been, been happening. I've been getting emails and Facebook messages all over the country of just people that are, that are um, being spoke to and ministered to it by. So it's pretty cool. Pretty humbling. Yeah. Uh, so Paul, I think, uh, I- from my, I think just apart from my pastoral experience and professional experience and whatever, I, for those of us that are in, well, you know, kind of in the big umbrella of the evangelical community, the the word doubt is kind of a dangerous word um, for people. It's kind of uncomfortable. Um, and yet here you've just been really uh, bold and just emblazoned it on the, the front of your, your book cover. Um, what, what do you think the common misunderstanding amongst so many people, people of faith in particular, um, what kind of misunderstanding around the idea of doubt do you think do you, do you often find? Yeah, I think that um, in short, I think that people think that doubt, um, if, if I doubt, if I doubt God at any level, um, then that's divisive, right? Um, if, uh, you know, two different visions is division, right? And so if I doubt, that must be, I must not trust that God is uh, doing his job correctly. And so in my doubt, I'm considering other options. And, um, and I think that, and honestly, as a pastor for 30 years now, um, I think that we have, as ministers, almost done our churches a disservice. 
And um, because we will, we will come on strong and say, you just got to try, you trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your, your own understanding. Well, I'm starting to lean on my own understanding as I just get this cancer diagnosis. So does that mean I'm doubting God? Well, maybe there's a little bit of doubt there. Does that mean I'm not trusting God as the Bible says I should? And so am I not, I'm not who I was supposed to be? And am I sinning? Am I, am I stumbling here? Absolutely not. I will just a hundred percent say absolutely not. I, I don't think doubt has to be a divisive thing. It doesn't divide our faith. It's actually a doorway to our faith. Um, I mean, you, you look at lamentations, you look at the Psalms, how many times did David, um, question God and complain to God and say, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense. Um, you know, and, 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 but we see David always kind of just wrestle out loud with God through his doubt and God's patient. I mean, one of the chapters in the book, one of the German entries was like, God's not surprised. God's not like, Joel, I can't believe you just did this. You are out, man. Um, God is a God is a big God. He can handle it, and he can. He's patient with us. He loves us just like we are with our children. Right? Um, we love our kids. They the most asinine things when they when they you know, Daddy, are you going to catch me at the pool? Are you sure you're going to catch me? Like you just caught your kid seven different times. <laughs> the eighth time, you're going to drop your kid and let your kid. No, you know, it's, it's, a you know, God can handle that. And so, um, just be being okay, crying out to God and saying, I don't understand it. I'm confused. I'm afraid. I'm frustrated. Yes, I do have doubt. Um, but lean in to that doubt. Don't lean away from God, lean into God during that doubt. And so doubt doesn't have to be divisive in your faith. Doubt can actually be a doorway in your faith. I'll tell you right now, I have grown more in my faith over the last three years than I probably have in the last 30 years. Mm. Um, and it's just, it's just a remarkable, remarkable thing. And it's affected everything in my life. I'm a better husband or I'm a healthier husband. I'm a healthier father. Um, I think I'm a better leader. I think I'm a healthier pastor. Um, and, and, you know, did God cause this or did God allow it? It really doesn't matter. I've gone through it and, and we were able to lean into this thing. I mean, here's the thing about, Here's the thing about it. You know, we were, I heard this on some uh, podcast where somebody's preaching and I loved it. So I can't really claim this statement for my own. Um, but we were, you know, the, we were surprised physically. Like we were absolutely surprised physically. Um, uh, but we, we were not unprepared spiritually. Mm-hmm. Right? We were surprised physically, but we were not unprepared spiritually. Now, about 12 years ago, when I was living up in Indiana, I actually got pretty sick. Um, this happened once before. It wasn't cancer, but I got chronic strep pneumonia. It was a real mess, and, you know, they weren't sure if I was going to make it. And so um, we were surprised physically, but we were not prepared spiritually. I was not prepared spiritually. And I, I would say things in my head, not out loud because I'm a Christian, but in my head I would say it, right? <laughs> I would say, I would say, uh, you know, in my mind, I'd be like, God, after all I've done for you, you're going to allow me, allow this to happen to me. A real entitlement, really just kind of arrogant um, posture. Um, but this time around, it was not that at all. It was just kind of like, it, it was less about, hey, God, what are you doing? But more about, God, okay, what are you doing? Something's happening here. And I don't want to miss. Thing that you're doing. And that sounds super spiritual and that sounds super pious. And, and just know that that's not, it wasn't that clean, but that's, that's what doubt did for me. Doubt took me through, took us through this process where we really wanted to understand 
if this is happening right now, God, whether you allowed it or whether you cause it, and that's a whole nother podcast, right? Um, God, what do you want us to learn? Who are you shaping me to be? Um, you know, how can I grow through this rather than go through it? How can I grow through a G-R-O-W rather than go through this? And, um, and so I think that doubt can be one of the most beautiful, mystical, um, healthy, um, spiritual tools in our lives, you know, and, um, but oftentimes we miss it and we, we, and we ignore it and we suppress it and we say, no, I can't doubt. That's wrong. That's sin. And it's just not, I just, I just, I don't believe that at all. Do you, do you think for somebody that comes into a situation, I, and I think at the, I'm just trying to think at kind of like the, the practical level of there might be a greater danger for the person in terms of their long-term faith journey to initially not embrace and basically say, no, like, like, I'm not going to doubt. I'm not going to doubt. I'm not going to, I'm going to stand strong. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps and then try to walk through something hard that way that the trajectory spiritually for them might be or, or likely is way more dangerous or way more, it has way less hope in it than the person who kind of comes to the end of themselves and says, I'm going to embrace all the messiness and the doubt, and I'm not going to get freaked out when I start saying crazy things in my head because that's part of being a human being and that's part of living life. And that the tra- trajectory of that is actually over the long term health healthier. Is that is that a fair kind of a, a fair thing to say? I think it is a fair thing, but I also want to recognize that it's human nature for us to want to control things, right? Yep. Yep. It just is. Again, I'm, guys, I'm 51 years old. I've been walking with God for since I was 19, and so I, I recognize also that I've 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 fallen down and I've and I've gotten back up a lot more than someone who's been 26 years old too. So, you know, I, I want to be I want to be real about where we're at. I don't expect a 26 year old um, who's been walking with Jesus for you know three years or even one of our kids to just have this disposition to to say i'm just gonna i'm just gonna i'm gonna put my hands out like this and just receive um and, and really learn what god's doing in my life um, it's our human nature to want to fix and to you know um want want to correct and want to say what can i do differently i mean even right now I, you know, i'm still kind of like I, i'm meeting with a doctor this week what can i do to to prevent cancer again this is just how we're how we're made. And there are some things that I can do, right? I mean, I can eat healthier. I can drink a lot more water. I can exercise, you know, all these different things. Um, but I, I think we get so focused on what can I do um, to, to make this better? Um, how, what can I do to get rid of this doubt? And, and um, I, I just think we, we don't teach in the church and we don't teach enough our children to say hey, it's okay if you doubt i mean joel you were in youth ministry how many times did a parent come to you and say hey i think my kid's checking out of their oh, faith oh boy yeah right and, <laughs> and nothing and is worse nothing right. is worse yeah and they're freaking out and they're thinking i'm a terrible parent oh my god my kid's gonna go to hell and all this different stuff and i, and I just had to tell them hey it's okay it's okay that they have questions because questions mm. will lead to answers so your job is to lead them through those questions and help them find answers. And, 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 and how many times do we say this, right? This is the doorway to them owning their own faith and graduating from your faith as a mom and a dad, right? 
And so, I, I, you know, so we, we, we've got to spend more, especially with our children, we've got to spend more time uh, not correcting the doubt, but, but, um, but connecting with them um, with these questions and helping them sort through these questions. And the same is true for adult human beings, right? I'm not sure if I answered your question there. Um, it, was, it was kind of a long question. I gave kind of a messy answer, so you can tell you're me. You're doing if I did all the right things. You're, doing all, you're saying all the right things, Paul. That's uh, okay. all, all the things. Mostly, you've given us at least three uh, solid tidbits that we'll be able to cut out of this and uh, use to promote the episode. So, really, Andy is awesome. Andy's thrilled over here. He's just like, yes, this is all the stuff, all the content I need. This is fantastic. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we do want to remind everyone we do have a voicemail number, and that number is 574-213-8702-574-213-8702. We would love to hear your comments about this episode or if you're on with us live right now just go ahead and put your comments right in the comment section of the app that you're oh, using we love these live people that are we, getting we on. do this we do fantastic we're like and again uh i always just say uh i i'm just the pretty face on this podcast but andy really is the brains behind the operation and it's really set up uh has set up a fantastic uh option joel rocking the tiger's hat with style Th- thank you jason Thank you for appreciating the Detroit Tigers because no one else does. Um, so, Paul, uh, here's here's what I wonder because you mentioned this I, at the leadership level. So you we, you can talk about family leadership and you can talk about kind of your professional church leadership. What has shifted for you uh, following this experience? What uh, what things maybe have you changed? Um, maybe you have you started doing something? Have you stopped doing something, or have you rearranged in how you do things um, in light of uh, light of this journey? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm not sure how to answer this question. My my staff said more compassionate, which you know, of course, the story I'm telling myself was like, what was I told jerk before? <laughs> you know? um, but they, they, uh, the two words they've said is you're a lot more compassionate because, you know, obviously with a big staff, a young staff, um, three, probably half our staff is, is under 35. Um, they say I'm more compassionate and, uh, and they say I'm more present. And so that's, that's great. That's a compliment. Um, and I appreciate that from my perspective. Um, I, I, I feel leadership is simplified for me. Um, you know, as you know, Joel, as executive pastors, you're in the weeds of everything and it can be, it can be really exhausting and be really tiring. And so, um, for me, I, I try to back up and not go so fast. Um, when I'm meeting with a staff member, um, I'm a little bit more present in the, how are you doing and how is your family doing? Cause I know that they're not going to be in this role 30 years from now. They might be in a different role. They might be in a different church. I want to know that they're growing. I want to know that they are um, being present. I want to know that they are um, chasing after Jesus, um, really embracing the work of the Holy spirit in their life. And so I'm much more present to that. We do get about the business. I mean, obviously in a big church and a small church, any church, you still got to be about the work of the church. Um, but on that side of things too, um, I had, I have, I feel that I'm being a bit more, um, pushy, encouraging to, um, to equip and to delegate. Um, and this will sound super morbid. Um, I honestly didn't, there were times where I just did not think I was coming back to this job. And, and so part of, part of my, my posture was, if I didn't come back to this job, who would have taken my position? Am I equipping people? Um, and so I, I really, I, I'm really starting to build 
plan to, to multiply myself. And then I'm trying to encourage my leaders, my pastors to, um, to multiply themselves. So, yeah. um, so I, I feel like I'm a lot more compassion. I do feel like I'm a lot more present, but my priority is probably more equipping um, them in their own spiritual walk and then equipping them to be equipping leaders because, um, you know, we get a little too dependent on ourselves and other people and the work of the church. We really should be multiplying. Um, so that was kind of another messy answer, but no, that's um, a great answer. I, I, mm-hmm. I would summarize the, the language that I like to use is to kind of summarize what you said is, um, it's the, uh, if I get hit by a bus, uh, mm, a perspective, sure. yeah. uh, that's what I, and you know, Hey, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, will the thing that we are trying to move to forward, uh, grind to a screeching halt or will it continue on? Hopefully it'll continue on with a little bit of sadness because I've been hit by a bus. But, uh, <laughs> but apart from that, you know, I, I, cause I, man, uh, I think, uh, we get way self-important very, very easily. Uh, that's just one of those human things that we do. And it's like, no one can do what I do. And it's like, no, a lot of people can do what you do and probably even better. Uh, and so how about you just have the humility to, uh, lead people that way? <laughs> so, um, yeah, which, yeah. you know, again, it, it, it comes back to, this is what Jesus did, right? Jesus knew he was going to be physically leaving. And, um, and so he was, he was in the equipping mode. The, from the get-go and so um but here we are we're trying to preserve our position and our and uh posture and all this yeah uh, it's been really helpful so i think i think for me and then family too it's it's priority and presence i want to make sure that my people my family know that they're a priority and i want to be present and one is a subset of the other i mean th- those two are like two two sides of the same coin yep um, um, even, even, even since, um, even since this whole thing went down over the last couple of years, I come, I'm a super busy guy. That's just part of my personality. It's definitely part of my position, but my kids will call me. All four of them will do this. They'll call. And the first question they ask is, are you busy? And, uh, and I hate that question because in their minds, this is what they know of dad, that he's busy. And uh, so now my new answer, because I want to be present to them and I want to communicate to them they are a priority, but I also don't want to lie to them. I know my job is busy. I know it's like, I'm flying to Miami tomorrow. I'll be there until Tuesday and then I'm flying to Cincinnati and then I'm flying back here. And I'll, you know, it's just, it's a very, very full life. So now my answer to them is, yeah, I'm, I'm super busy, but I got time for you. Mm, yep. And what that does is it, it tells the truth about the reality, but then it also communicates that you're a priority and I'm going to make time for you and, and I'll get back to you. I'll, I'll text. And so, and so your kids grow up, not with this, this, uh, this, this uh, false sense of reality. Um, I want them to grow up knowing that, yeah, it's a busy world. And my dad is carrying a lot of stuff and, and he's trying to make a difference, but I'm still a priority in his life. And same thing for my wife, you know? And so I think it's a really good rule of, uh, of life that, that I have developed uh, later than I would have liked. Looking back, I would have liked to say, man, why couldn't I have said that when I was 22 years old as a dad, you know? But uh, as they say, better late than never. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, cancer diagnosis will do that to you. So, <laughs> you know, it brings, brings some clarity, which, which is great. So uh, my last question before we get to the really, uh, really dynamic uh, fun part uh, end of the show here is what is what is next for Paul Baldwin that you can that you can uh, that you can tell without letting, I don't know, some major, maybe there's some major cat outlet you don't want to let out of the bag, but what, what's, uh, what's the, the trajectory of life for you and uh, family and all of that at this point? 
Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a, um, you had sent that question ahead of me. I didn't really know how to answer that because, um, we've just moved to Charleston and, um, we've always moved like we moved to Indiana. We moved to Florida always for a job. We didn't move up here for a job. We moved up here for family and, and thank God we've been, uh, we've been given the opportunity to work remotely. Um, and COVID COVID actually was a gift to us because it helped us realize that we could do a lot of these things remotely. Um, so, uh, you know, my heart is still very much for the local church. I'm a, I'm a passionate, um, uh, champion for nonprofits. I think there's a lot of beautiful people doing a lot of beautiful things around the country. And so, um, I will be doing a lot more work with this, uh, with this, uh, consulting group, the, the elemental group. And I love that. I'm working with a prison ministry out of Cincinnati, working with a couple of, uh, programs down in South Florida. And so I'll be doing a lot more consulting, but my personality is one that needs to be in the weeds of it. I need to roll my sleeves up and I need to be getting my hands dirty. So I'm trying to figure out how I can continue to do that um, even beyond my role as the executive pastor. And we don't really have a defined date yet for the executive pastor as I, as I transition out of that role. Um, but then this book has opened up some opportunities as well too. So um, where I'm already working on a couple of more books and um, another devotion, another book on culture. And so um, I didn't, I didn't think that would be a reality, um, but that is now a reality. And so we're, we're pursuing that and uh, just want to continue to contribute to, to the kingdom advancement. Um, and just asking God, um, you know, just help me to continue to be useful in what I'm doing. And uh, so I'm excited about that. And then I'm just, I'm, we're up here in, in Charleston and just we want to spend a lot of time around family down in, down in Florida. We're empty nesters all by ourselves. Now we're empty nesters up here and we're looking after. <laughs> We've got our kids in the, in the mix again. And so it seems like every night is something and we're loving it. It's absolutely amazing. Going to ice cream with our kids, hanging out with my baby. And so um, I'm going to just try to be as busy as I can in the kingdom and just be as busy as I can with our family. Yeah. And then, uh, Get out of town once in a while with my wife since we don't have little kids. There we go. Rub that into you guys again. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's beautiful, man. Well, and there were. Uh, I, yeah, to all our listeners, um, I would say, uh, and we, as we always do, uh, a way to contact Paul, to follow Paul, to also uh, link to the book over at, uh, paulbaldwin.com. See, it's super, he's super fancy. He's got his own website. Uh, we'll have all that in the show notes over at dudesanddadspodcast.com so you can get in touch, uh, just see what he's up to. I, I'm really, really excited for yeah. what is in the future for you, Paul. So uh, that uh, that's all looking, it's looking bright. I'm excited for you. So Yeah, awesome. Before we let you go, though, we can't get you out of here without doing... Now it's time for the Dudes and Dads Pop Quiz. Oh, thank you. Oh, yes. So I am excited about <laughs> this. I know nothing. Just so your audience knows, I, I, you know, they gave us a, gave me a couple of questions to think about, but I know nothing about this next section. And that's, that's so the, it's I'm shrouded in mystery. That's what shrouded. we like. Yes. Shrouded. Let's like. do it. Yes. So if you've never joined us before, this is a time we just ask random questions to our guests uh, that have nothing to do with the topic, but we just want to get to know you a little bit better. So without further ado, Paul. What is your favorite weekend trip? Uh, we like to get out of town and go explore um, just kind of mystery towns. And so um, we just went down to Buford, South Carolina, discovered all sorts of cool things. So if we can get away for a night or two, that would be like the dream for us. And it's 
drive because um, we don't have like loads of money where we can just fly everywhere. <laughs> Contrary to popular belief. Uh, <laughs> that's right. uh, Paul, what is your least, the least favorite job that you've ever had? Oh man, I'm one of those total nerds where I've loved every job I've had. Okay. So I, I used to work in a nuclear power plant. Um, what? I'm sorry. A oh, wait, you, what? Said, you said a nuclear power plant. Well, that yeah, tracks. So okay. Okay. I, I mentioned, I mentioned that my family runs the cement union. And so one of the big contracts they have is the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant in South, uh, South um, California. And so I had a job of chipping concrete um, around rebar the intake manifold. So this is this huge, uh, like seven foot uh, tube that was under the sea level. It would, uh, it would bring water in to cool the reactor. Uh, every six months they would have to go in there and they would have to chip concrete and, and repair the rebar. And so I had uh, the cool thing about the job. It was me and my cousins down there working, but the part that sucked about the job, it was 12 hours a day Whoa. with a chipping hammer um, for like nine bucks an hour. And, um, and it wow. was, I was like providing for my family and everything, which was cool. But man, it was, it was nuts. It was, it was a, it was a hard job. Oh, man. All those, all these, all these, uh, all you fast food workers that are listening to this right now, uh, get your, uh, perspective straight. Uh, you've just heard Paul, uh, what what do you have to complain about? That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Uh, all right, Paul. So if you could eliminate one food so that no one could eat it ever again, what food would you destroy? Kale. <laughs> ah, yes, yes. Ooh, all right. As, wow. as, Jim, as, Jim, as Jim Gaffigan says, can we just lose the kale propaganda? It's 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 not good for the human race. Kale, kale propaganda. <laughs> oh, that's those are wise uh, words. Uh, yeah. Paul, what is one skill that you think everyone should have? Oh wow, one skill. Um, is this a skill being interested? Like, like uh, learning the art of being interested rather than working so hard to be interesting. Mm. Golly, this is going to be a treasure trove right here. We're already, we're, we're, see, usually sometimes this, this uh, quiz can go off the rails, but Paul is just keeping it going. I, okay. Well, you have one more quick question here that I do. So why don't you ask another one? I'm going to ask another one. Um, Paul, what old person things do you do? <laughs> well, old person thinks I've got pictures. Uh, I'm the guy who will start watching a movie like Lord of the Rings, which is like the worst idea at like 10. Um, we'll watch a movie and just my kids just know that within five minutes, dad is going to be asleep. And oh, it's like asleep too. That's, that's me right here. Yeah. Right here. It's I'm okay. The same, I'm it's the okay. Same Own it. Okay. It'll be, I'll be like, <laughs> you know, it just, it's like, it's terrible. So I, I, I do that. Um, and then I also get up early. I've always gotten up early. Like I was just making fun of my parents because they're retired and they get up at like five o'clock. They set their alarm to get up at five, which <laughs> is just, but I've always been like, I, even when I was 13, 14 years old, I get up at five, five thirty, six o'clock. And, um, so it, you know, it's just always been something that I've done, but I'm just a natural early riser and, and all of that. That's kind of what old people do. So I guess that's part of it too. And I wear socks with my sandals sometimes oh, too. Oh, 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 bold move. Bold choice. Bold choice. <laughs> all right. So my last question is when did you get your first cell phone and what kind was it? Yeah, it was a, it was 1996. It was a Nokia. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Um, it wasn't a flip that I got the flip phone, the next, next phone. And that was my favorite, but it was a Nokia. It was 1996. 
It was probably it, the one that had like the worm game on you it. You have the worm and, game, Paul? Probably had the worm yeah. game. There we go. Yeah, so that was my first phone. And um, and my son loves it, who's now 26 years old. And he's like, I'm like, I got it the year you were born. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, hey, my final question, Paul, is how long do you think you'd last in a zombie apocalypse? Oh, man. Um... I mean, I think I, I think I'd go the distance. I mean, I think I'd go for a while. Do you think you, um, I mean, do you, th- you feel like you're prepped enough, like between the resources that are available to you and kind of your, uh, just what you have in your network, do you think, you think you could make, you think you could make a run at it? I think I could make a run at it for two, a couple of reasons. Number one, I mean, I grew up on some land in South, uh, Southern California and, um, we used to, for fun, I was just telling the kids we would we would like catch snakes like king snakes and we would like skin them and eat them, which is like the stupid thing to do because, but we would, you know, we would and, and we would catch scorpions and we would do yes. things like that. Yes. That's, that's one reason I feel like I could eat anything. Um, but the second reason is I'm pretty sure I could outrun my wife and I could, <laughs> I, I could, out, and I could outrun <laughs> and so I, I figure, wow. We're going to cut that part out, right? Oh, well, that's uh, Andy. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I could outrun my wife. Wow. Okay. Uh, everything was, again, like I said, we waited till the final question to let this thing go off the rails. And then uh, then here it was. Uh, we did it. We did it. Uh, Paul, my friend, thank you so much for uh, successfully completing uh, and excelling oh, yeah. at the dudes and dads pop quiz. You have, uh, you've just won, you won the day. You've won the day. And, uh, oh, awesome. there's <laughs> just nothing, there's no prize other than our admiration. So, uh, I hope that, hope that counts. But, uh, friends, as always, uh, we want to just say thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out with us, uh, for this episode. Uh, we, uh, will, uh, as we said over at dudes and dads podcast.com with the show notes, give all the juicy details on, uh, how to get a hold of Paul, see what he's doing, contact, uh, contact him or pick up a book. Would love for you to pick up devout in doubt. Uh, that would be a great help and, uh, it's raising, raising money for a good cause. So absolutely so if you have questions uh comments anything send them to 574-213-8702 that's our voicemail number again 574-213-8702 it's just a voicemail number or you could always send an email to feedback at dudes and dads podcast.com and we'd love to hear from you guys over there uh Joel, any final closing thoughts? Uh, None from me. So grateful for each and every one of you. Can't wait to join you next time. And until then, we wish you grace and peace. Peace.